wow, hey, look at you. That was great. Here, the sun's shining outside and it's warm. And someone told me it was the first day of summer this last week, but I already knew that because I always go by sunburns and I burn my feet. And uh, you want to know when that happens, you know, don't ask. Uh, so summer's here. I got two colors, white and red. And I move back and forth between those two colors through the summer. Kind of something I'm going to ask God. I don't get it. My brother's blonde hair, blue-eyed, white skin, and he's got this nice tan. So anyway, great to see you. And uh, hey, this thing about Sam, that's terrific. He's, uh, I've known Sam for years in uh, discipleship stuff. We're kind of in association of about 140 churches, and I think in what he does, he's like, now I'm not exaggerating, I think he's like the number one guy in our entire association. Besides that, he's my age. I get, I get all these young bucks I have to work with. Uh, you know, do you ever know, like, I don't even feel dressed this morning. So you're like, yeah, everybody up here, all the guys up here, none of them have their shirts tucked in. You know, Hopkins, uh, John. Like, I don't feel dressed. I feel like I, I, quit, I, I quit too quick. And, but I thought, you know, I got to blend in. So I think when Sam gets here, you've heard of stuff shirts. We're going to start the Tuck Shirt Society. So we'll be, you can sign up outside and uh, we'll gather together and drink Geritol. And so we'll have, have, <laughs> we'll have, uh, have a good time. So anyway, glad you're here. And uh, hey, we're going to press in a little bit today about uh, barriers to personal growth. And we're going to do it through the life of Gideon. Most people I meet want to grow. Uh, oh, there are sometimes reasons we kind of resist it. Maybe, uh, maybe things are working all right. Sometimes we think the pain of growing will be greater than the pain of staying the same. Uh, sometimes we succeed in one area and think that that's going to flop over into all the others. But really, most people have areas of their life they'd like to press in, they'd like to grow. And... Uh, Sometimes in a particular area, we kind of move into it two or three times and we hit a wall and we can't, we can't figure out why. And so we're going to have a look at that this morning. So would you bow your heads with me and let's just ask God to help us. Father, we thank you for the life of Gideon that we're going to see today because his life's going to give all of us hope. Uh, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will, will infuse us with an awareness that it is possible. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here's the big idea for today. Barriers to personal growth can be created when my history rather than my identity is the basis for navigating life. Barriers to personal growth can be created when my history rather than my identity is the basis for navigating life. And a key verse we're going to find out of Judges 6 to 8, which is the story of Gideon, the key verse, chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 8, when the angel appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, Gideon was stuck. And uh, really, if we're stuck, we always have a choice. What level do we want to play at? What level do we want to play at? We can think, man, i got enough coping skills. I'm, I'm handling life. Well, there's some rough edges, some, some relational things that don't work out right. But really, by and large, I, I think I can get through the, the track. 
without getting too many bumps and bruises. And, and if that's where you want to be, you know what? God, God's not going to punish you for that. He's not going to berate you. But if you want to live at a higher level, if you want to take it up a notch, I was at uh, the, uh, Don Funk's running a kind of a neat new ministry called uh, the Round Pen Ministry, and uh, and uh, while people watch, he 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 works a horse that's never been ridden, and I was to it this week. Incredible insights. One of the things one of the things he showed is is like for years we've been getting on the left side of a horse ever since uh, people started wearing swords. So the sword didn't hit the horse. We'd get it on, on the left side. And as you pick up the hooves of a horse, if you start with the left front, that, the horse is most comfortable with that. And you can lift up that hoof, not all that difficult. You can lift up the, the right front, still not too bad. The, uh, you can lift up the left rear. But as you get around to the right rear hoof, as you progress through those four hooves, they get harder and harder to lift up. You're now at the right rear. You're back by the kind of the power, the motor of the horse, all the strengths back there. You're on a side that's unfamiliar. You know, you and I can decide which, which places we want God to have access to. And there are some of those spots they get a little tougher to work with. And we might gravitate, I'm just going to stay over here in the, the stuff I'm more familiar with. But the Lord, he's kind of like a smorgasbord. He's got it out there. If you want to go to another level, he's, he's got the stuff. And uh, that's what Gideon was faced. Gideon was stuck. You pick up in chapter six of, uh, 6 of Judges, and here was the case. Gideon was an Israelite. The Israelites, the Bible says, were under the evil dominate, domination of the Midianites who would partner with their friends, the Amalekites. And they had swooped down about every season and they would just take over Israel's ground. The Bible says they would even camp in the middle of the grain fields. They would take all the livestock. They would ravage the area. They would destroy anything they wanted. They were marauders. And the Israelites were so intimidated and so afraid that they had built houses, they had built caves up in the hills. And when we pick up Gideon's story, he's threshing out grain in a wine press because he's afraid of the Midianites seeing him. And and he's stuck. There's nowhere to go. There's no direction to head. Nothing's going to change in his area. And we're going we're gonna to have a little quick look at, if I want something to change, what's the process? Now, I played basketball in high school, and some of you know that in North Dakota, where I went to school, a little town called Epping, North Dakota, the Epping basketball team is famous for having set the North Dakota state record for the most losses in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bow my head as I say that. 96 losses. They started when I was an eighth grader, and we didn't win until I was a senior. We were one in 16 that year and drunk with power. It was a <laughs> terrific season for us. Team we beat by three points, half their starting uh, five quit. I can only imagine the taunting they had to endure after Epping beat them. But you know, when Epping became the smallest high school in the state of North Dakota, 24 students. 
They got a new coach, and that coach saw a group of young boys playing in the eighth grade, and he said to these boys, if you do what I tell you to do, when you're seniors, we'll go to the state tournament. And they actually started living that dream. These boys believed him, their parents believed him, and they began to anticipate this possibility. And they started playing pretty good as freshmen and better as sophomores and better yet as juniors. And when they were the smallest class B school, the smallest high school in the state of North Dakota, 24 students, 12 of whom were my cousins. <laughs> yeah, they could only get eight guys for the basketball team, four of whom were my cousins, four cheerleaders, two of whom were my cousins. In that senior year, at the end of the regular season, they were 20 and 1. They breezed through the district tournament 23 and 1. They went into the regional tournament, won the first game 24 and 1. And now they were playing the one team that had beat them all year, Beulah, North Dakota. And at halftime, they were behind. Not only that, their all state center had four fouls on him. And within the first two minutes of the second half, he had fouled out. Now keep in mind that this coach and these players and these parents had ridden this dream for four years. And when their center fouled out, the coach called time. And the players started to weep. They thought, this is it. The parents sitting in the stands could see the back of the coach and they could tell that as he went out to meet his players, he was crying. A four-year dream shot. Now that starting five was made up of two sets of brothers who were all terrific players and one other kid named Bingaman that they played because you had to have five on the court. And they're standing there, and the players are crying, and the coach is crying. And Bingaman says, come on, coach, we can beat these guys. The coach looked up and he said, fellas, if you really believe that, let's try this. Now keep in mind that by Bingaman saying, come on, coach, we can beat these guys, nothing had changed. The ability of Beulah hadn't changed. The score on the scoreboard hadn't changed. Their all-state center falling out hadn't changed. No circumstances had changed. The only thing that changed was the meaning one person gave to that set of facts. And in fact, they did beat Beulah. And ended the regional tournament... 25 and 1, they won the first game of the state tournament, 26 and 1, won the second game of the state tournament, 27 and 1, played against the largest Class B school in the state of North Dakota and lost by four points and ended up 27 and 2. And if you went to Epping, North Dakota today and walked through the gravel streets, you would find that all the streets' names were changed for the starting five of that team. <laughs> <laughs> most of whom were my cousins. (laughs) Now, here's how we get stuck. And uh, here's how we get sick. And they're going to throw up four boxes on the screen for you. And uh, 
it kind of happens like this. You and I have history. We all have history. We have history that comes from our environment, our circumstances, kind of the baggage of our family of origin, the sin we've committed and the effects of that sin, being sinned against. Nobody here has not been sinned against. Uh, all kinds of stuff. And it's part of our history. And then you and I, we give meaning to that history. We give meaning to that history. And based on the meaning we give it, in given situations or scenarios, feelings arise. And those feelings lead to actions that I take. Now often, the meanings we give it are lies. Neither people involved in our history, nor things that we did involved with our history, have the meanings we often give it. But often, we give those meanings to things when we're quite small. By the age of four, 50% of your personality is already framed, and by the age of eight, 80% of it's already framed. So at very young ages, we're beginning to give meanings to the things that happen to us. And uh, so, I don't know, I'm stuck and I want to get unstuck. And so we often start with our actions. But if you've taken two or three runs at something and it hasn't budged, chances are that whatever actions you're taking isn't touching into the lies, the meanings you've given things in our lives. And you say, well, how in the world do I get to our lie, the lies? Well, actually, it's not, not all that difficult. Uh, our actions and our feelings lay pretty close to the surface if we just pay attention to them. For example, you just try to think and pay attention to yourself. When do you overreact to something? By that I mean, when do you react in a way where you know the response you're having is out of proportion to the offense or the issue that you're, you're, you're dealing with? I just start watching how I overreact. Jesus says to Peter, now Peter, you're going to deny me. Oh, no, no. I'm, you, I'm never... You, well, in fact, not only that, Lord, if the whole world denies you, if everybody fails, I'm going to be there. You're going to be able to count on me. Yeah. Really, Peter, get a grip. Overreact. Something your husband or wife does. You put the bathroom tissue on the spool backwards again. Don't I have enough pressure in my life? Really? Come on. And my feelings get into certain situations. Peter's out there in front of Pilate's Hall and some little woman says, now weren't you one of his? And Peter gets all blustery and flustered and anxious and begins to curse. And You know, I noticed once that, uh, like in my life, one of the early drives of my life was to invo- avoid personal embarrassment. I began to notice that there was a certain type of person I shied away from. Now, if you talk, take different kinds of temperament or personality tests... Yeah, everyone has their own weaknesses. So I'm just going to mention clerics. Clerics are type A, driven, action-oriented people. 
But typically, they have a shorter antenna related to how their actions may impact other people. I don't mean they're malicious. They just don't pick up that as they bluster through something to get it done, they're actually kind of leaving sometimes a little wake of bleeding people behind them. (laughs) Now listen, if you're a cleric here, we all got our stuff. So anyway, that, that means that a cleric is more likely than the other personality groups they're more likely to embarrass you publicly without realizing they're doing it. So I found that when I was around choleric people, I I tended to avoid them. So I just began to track that back to lies in my life. So how does this work with Gideon? Well, let's just have a look. What was Gideon's history? Midianite was oppressing them. God appeared absent. He seemed incapable, seemed to lack any resources to change his environment. That's the history. How about the meaning? The Midianites are stronger than we are. God has abandoned us. Look at our circumstances. And I am not favored with the Lord. I don't know. Some of this stuff works out for other people. It doesn't work out for me. I look at these circumstances. I, God just doesn't favor me. So what feelings are we having? Fear of failure. Well, if I try something, I mean, I'm barely surviving now. And if I step out into this, chaos is going to reign. I won't be able to control it. As bad as this is, it'll just get worse. I, 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 don't, dare, I don't dare do anything. And what actions did that lead to? He was hiding. And he was caught by inertia. Unable to move. Tentative in any situation. History. Meaning often lies. Feelings. Actions. So how do I get out of that? I'm kind of stuck over there. We often tend to want to work on our action stuff, but if I don't change my frame of reference, if I don't change the lies, I tell you that if I don't change the lies, then my actions make all the sense in the world. Somebody else might say, why in the world are you doing that? But because this is true. My actions, no matter how unfruitful they are, have no reason to change unless the lies I believe change. So how do I get out? Well, you just take these four boxes, and we went one direction, you just go the other direction. What are my actions? Which come from what feelings? Because I believe what lies. Now, here, here's, where, here's where I want to catch us. And then sometimes we think, well, we've got to get back into our history. And fa- no, you don't, don't, don't bother with that. For one thing, it's just history. The only thing that gives history energy is the energy you give it. It doesn't have any energy of its own. It's just dates and stuff that's gone. You don't have to go fishing back into your history. It doesn't have to have power. You just go back to what are the lies, and then you drop down and say, now I'm going to live on the basis of what is true. If these are the lies, what is the truth? Well, let's try this out with Gideon. 
what was true. What was true was, the scripture tells us in this passage, God said to Gideon, all right, now number one, Gideon, the angel of the Lord said, God sent me, so God is with you. He has not abandoned you. That is true. Number two, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. Gideon must have looked around and said, who in the world is he talking to? No, Gideon, you. You're a mighty warrior. And then, I love this one. He says to Gideon, go in the strength you already have. He says, Gideon, you already possess what you need to conquer this barrier. You just don't think you do. You're living in lies. The fact is that you're a warrior, God is with you, and you possess the strength to change this circumstance. Now, here was the trick. How many of us think Gideon actually believed any of that? Yeah, not happening. Now, here's another thing. If that's as far as we get action to feelings to lies to new meaning, all that is is a mental activity. It's all that's going on. And that mental activity can't change us, it won't alter what's happened. Not until we act. The action creates a new emotional connection, a new emotional focus. And God was inviting Gideon. He says, all right, now Gideon, are you going to act as if what I tell you is true or are you going to keep acting as if what you've been believing is true? How are you going to act? And you know how gracious God is? God often gives us a little thing to start with. So God says to Gideon, Now Gideon, I want you to go out and you see that altar to Baal, the false god, and that pole to Asherah, a false god. I want you to go out and chop down that pole and destroy that altar. And Gideon stuttered. And says, Well, all right. The Bible says he got ten guys and he waited till nightfall... And it just tells us, because he was afraid. But catch this. He didn't let his fear stop him from acting. Because he was afraid, he wented, waited till nightfall, and he went out and he broke down the altar, and he cut down the pole of Asherah. And God gave him this little thing. Say, I want to show you in the little thing that this big thing that you're going to do will work. And Gideon did it. And so God says, Jesus says to Peter, Now Peter, follow me. You're going to have to leave your net. Leave your fishing nets. There was a physical action involved. He was trying to get Gideon to act on the new set of truth. And until we act, we don't break the binds and the tyranny that's holding us. And there's risk in acting because, you know, in our heart of hearts, we still think the lies are the truth. And God's trying to get us to say, take a risk and act on what you know is true even though it still feels like these lies are the truth. So you and I can be like Gideon. 
But Gideon's in the Old Testament. Let's just check in with some people that I've tracked with in life. None from Montana. Here's the history. A father who says to his son, you'll never amount to anything. And the meaning, meaning, I'm not worthy of his love. And the feelings, other people will judge me. And the action, he became a workaholic up at 4.30 every morning because he was going to prove his father wrong. The history, a parent dies and you're a young child. The feeling, abandonment, though, though not rational, I've, I've been abandoned because I'm unloved. The feeling, fear of rejection. The action, I'm always going to break up with my girlfriends before they break up with me. Parents say, listen, she's perfect for you. It's the third one. But always breaking up first so he doesn't suffer the rejection. The, the history, a parent's highest value, having grown up in poverty, is image. The meaning, you have to earn people's acceptance. The feeling, a fear of humiliation. The action, learning in every setting how to please people so they won't embarrass you. Lies, feelings, actions, actions, feeling, lies, new truth. Will I act on the new truth? Now, where is God in all this? You know the neat thing about God? In this process, God knows that if we've had a history of believing some lies, he's going to be very patient with us because establishing new sets of actions and taking those risks are going to feel, they're not even going to feel like me. They're going to feel out of place, unusual. And so God is so patient. I grew up in a farm in North Dakota. And uh, so when I was young, my father had a 54, 55 Chevy pickup. And, uh, you know, usually if you grow up in a farm, you start driving machinery and stuff at a pretty young age. And I was pretty young when my dad said one day in the middle of the farm, farm day, hey, uh, I'm going to go and have a cup of coffee. Why don't you drive the pickup over and put gas in it? I was excited. That, uh, that was kind of a new thing for me. It was an old pickup. Uh, and you remember, remember a lot of the old farmyards had big gas tanks up on stands? either metal or wood stands, and that's what we had to. And our pickup was sitting in the middle of the yard, pointing to the gas tank. Now let me just say, it wasn't my fault that there was no rubber on the brakes and the, and the uh, clutches so your feet could easily fall off. Just get that out there right now. Because I got out, I started up the pickup kind of excited and put it into gear and lurched forward and... But golly, that, that gas tank got there a lot quicker than I was anticipating. I had to react a little sooner than normal. I'm kind of analytic, so I like to think things through. By the time I thought it through, my feet was off the brake, onto the gas, lurched into the stand, and the gas tank was sitting on the hood. 
And I looked out the passenger window of the pickup to see my dad and my mom standing at the door of the house with a quizzical look on their face. <laughs> but you know, my dad was my dad. And he loved me, and he's patient, and kept working with me. And uh, It wasn't that much longer, maybe a year later, and we were going to... In the spring, having planted our crops, we were headed over to our fields over, uh, over west to spray them. And my dad would take that pickup, put a big, uh, big tank of spray on the back. And those sprayers, those portable sprayers, had these big arms that would be down like this, but you'd put them up like this when you're traveling. And he asked if I'd drive the pickup, and he was going to bring the John Deere tractor behind me. And uh, there was only one little hitch. On the way over to those fields, we're on this prairie road, but there was a spring and there was a narrow tiny little bridge you'd go across uh, over this spring and uh, right by the spring there were these willows that hung over the road and my dad says now you be careful you don't catch one of those arms on that willow tree you bet count on me dad and you know I didn't I got there to those that little bridge and those willows and I looked back to make sure my and you know another thing about that area was it had really steep ditches. Did I forget that part? Lurched down into the ditch, the pickup was on two wheels and back. And by the time I got out of the pickup and back up, my dad had stopped the tractor and was putting it into road gear further up and heading down as fast as he could. And I believe I heard some religious words. I'm not sure about that, but... But you know, I was always assured of my dad's love and he didn't make me change my last name. He didn't uh, kick me out of the house. It was a while after that that we were going to do some haying over the east. And my dad said, uh, he didn't say this, but I thought maybe he should. He said, against my better judgment, would you go out and fill the pickup with gas? And he says, Mom's going to bring that over with lunch later on, and we'll go over and we'll start loading bales. And so I pulled up to the gas tank. Now, in my defense, the fact that the gas tank and the diesel tank were next to each other and not marked should excuse certain things that are going to follow. And uh, I filled the tank up, and we took off over to the field and uh, I was up on the up on the trailer and dad was throwing bales up and I bent down to pick up a bale and I looked up now I'm not exaggerating at ground level a cloud was moving towards us I stood up and I thought what in the world is that my dad saw me looking he turned around and he watched and the cloud moved towards us and about 25 feet from us it stopped and as the cloud parted, there was my mom sitting behind the wheel of our pickup. She got out and she said, I don't know what in the world is wrong with this thing. It stopped and stopped all the way over. I couldn't get it started on the gravel road for a while. And some other farmer stopped and he opened up the gas tank. She said, boy, this smells like diesel fuel in here. But she said, no, it can't be. Our son filled it with gas just before I came. Well, you know, that leads to overhauling an engine. And... But you know, my dad did, didn't own me. He didn't make me sleep in the barn. Made me sleep in the pickup. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> 
Now, what's the point of that? I want to show you what God did for Gideon. God knew that he was pressing Gideon into new territory that his history and the meanings he had lived by didn't affirm. And so nine, not one, not four, nine times when Gideon showed impatience or showed, showed inertia and a fear of acting, God was patient. He said, now, you're a mighty warrior and I want to lead your people to, uh, want you to lead your people to uh, liberty. And Gideon said, number one, we have no history of God helping us. Well, you do it anyway. Number two, he says, I'm from the least, I'm from the smallest clan. It can't be me. I'm from Manasseh, the smallest clan. Number three, and I'm the least in the clan. I, you, you have somebody wrong. Besides, how do I even know, it's, know you're from God? I need a sign. So the angel said, well, go get a meal. And, and Gideon went to get a meal and brought it out. And the angel set the meal on fire. He said, now go tear down that uh, pole of Asherah. So he did, but he did it at night. Gideon says, now listen, don't, don't be impatient, but I'm still not sure. Would you, if I put a wool fleece out, would you let that be wet in the morning and everything around it be dry? God says, sure. sure. The next day, it was that way. He says, no, okay, now, now really, just, just put up with me for a little. How about if we make that dry and everything around it wet? Oh, okay, God says, yeah, all right, all right. So, okay, all right, if I am going to have to do this, I've got to call everybody I know. We've got to get the biggest army we can get. Got 32,000. God said, uh, all right, your army's too big. If you did happen to win, not likely, but if you did, everybody think, would think it's you and not me. So I tell you what, let's whittle out everybody who's afraid. That dropped 22,000 right there. Now let's take out everybody who's uh, drinking a certain way. And that took out another, he got down to 300. And then, not Gideon to God, but after eight times of being tentative, fearful, reluctant to act, God went to Gideon and he said, Now Gideon, if you're still afraid, would you sneak down to the Midianites' camp tonight and listen to the conversation around that campfire from a distance? Gideon could have said, well, you've set a meal on fire, you turn the fleece wet and then dry, you, uh, that's enough. No, the Bible says Gideon did that. And when he went down and listened in to that campfire among the Midianites that the Lord said were as thick as locusts and their camels were more than the sands of the sea. And Gideon, with no history of winning and 300 men, he heard a Midianite say, I had a dream, a vision last night and I am afraid that God is going to deliver us into the hands of the Israelites. And Gideon went back and the Bible says after nine after nine instances of being tentative the Bible says Gideon was encouraged 
And so, he acted on a new set of truths. Remember, he didn't create this new set of truths. They had been true all along. He was a mighty warrior. God was with him. And he already possessed the strength to defeat them. And the next day, in miraculous fashion, Gideon and his 300 men routed an army of 135,000. And this is what we read. And so the Midian's tyranny was broken by the Israelites. And for some of us, God wants to say, you've been stuck. And I want you to someday be able to look in the mirror and to say, so the tyranny of this thing was broken by the actions I took based upon what God told me was true. And that's how we move from stuck to unstuck. It's how we move from sick to being well. And God isn't just going to do it for the Gideon. He'll do it for us as well. Would you set your things aside as we finish up this, this morning? Thanks for being so attentive today. I know it's getting warmer in here. And Let's bow our heads together, would you? Just no one looking around and everyone just before the Lord and... Hey, as we've talked about getting unstuck, growing in an area, with our heads bowed in prayer, as I've mentioned that, has there been something that's risen to the surface in your life? Something you know you've taken a run at once or twice? A meaning and some lies you've been living by that haven't been producing fruit in life but rather death in you. God's invitation for you today is pretty simple. I did it for Gideon. I did it for Gideon so you could see that it could happen for you as well. And right where we're at, we can ask the Lord, Lord, I've been trying to handle this stuff on my own. And I haven't broken through. I haven't torn down. I've not been able to tear down the stronghold. I've not been able to grow in this area. I've been stuck and I've almost given up. Lord, I've been living with some lies. And I want to replace them with what's true. Give me insight. Lord, give me insight as I pay attention to my actions and my feelings to uncover the lies that have been binding me. Show me what's true instead of those lies. And Lord, help me have the courage to act. Though everything within me says this can't be right, help me have the courage to act on what you've told me is true about you and about me.
We're going to wait for just a second with our heads bowed. And you pray that prayer before the Lord. Let it well up from your heart. Cry out to Him. Align yourself with a new truth that's been there all the time. Ask Him for courage. If you're praying that prayer, the Lord's hearing you right now. And He says if you call upon Him in the day of trouble, He'll answer you. If you're praying right now and you're asking the Lord to bring you deliverance, to break a stronghold, to give you the courage to act, this could be your first action to set a new course. No one's going to embarrass you, but as we just wait with our heads bowed, would you just lift your hand and just say, I'm praying that prayer, and this is my first action that I'm not going to live. Yes, here in the center, over on the left, up here on the right. Yes, over here on my far right, way over by the wall, up here in the center again, over here on the left. Yeah, I see your hand. Yeah, up here in the front, over here on my left again, over here on my right. Yeah, way in the back, right here in the center, over my left, over here on the right, up here near the front in the center. Yeah. Over here on my left, way, way near the back. So we wait for just a second. Can I say this to you? God says, for freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. For freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your inheritance of liberty and freedom. Thank you for these all over this room who have slipped their hands up. Rush grace to them. Begin to give them insight and the courage to act on what is true from your perspective. And give them things to encourage themselves in. In Jesus' name I pray.